everyone. Welcome into the 20th episode of The Mental Game. I'm Sam Brief with you in my studio in Chicago. Can you believe it? 20 episodes already? Not like anyone's giving me a mic. I mean, I've literally given myself the mic in the studio. But I'd like to take this chance to thank the Academy. No, I really would like to thank everyone for the love and support through the first 20 episodes. Whether you're listening to your first episode right now, or you've been a loyal listener from day one, or you're someone who has connected me to a guest, or come on as a guest, or helped me in even a little, little way, I really thank you. This has been a really fun passion project for me to learn through talking to some really, really cool people. And today on the 20th episode, I've got a very cool person in Joel Goldberg. Now, Joel serves as the pre- and post-game host and in-game reporter for the Kansas City Royals. Like me, he went to Highland Park High School in the north suburbs of Chicago, something I didn't learn until after the podcast. We did a whole almost hour-long podcast and then figured out that we share the same alma mater. So Joel Goldberg, an HP giant just like me, he's with the Royals. He's also the host of the Rounding the Bases podcast on Apple and Spotify, and he's the author of Small Ball, Big Results. So in addition to his role with the Royals and his podcasting and his book, Joel's a public speaker, and he's a master at developing relationships, and for him, it's all about people. Now, I'm not sure if you're like me and you're obsessed with the HBO show Veep, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, where she plays Vice President Selena Meyer, whose tagline is, politics is about people. It's cliche. And for Joel Goldberg, everything is about people. So we dive into that and a whole lot more in the 20th episode of The Mental Game. Here you go. You know, one of the things I like to tell people is that my job in a pre-post game host, and I'm lucky enough that I also do all the in-game reports, is that I'm down in the locker room every day, at least I was before COVID. And as much as when we're young, you're still young, but when I was young, you know, the goal was to get the interviews. The goal was to get the good sound bites. And you realize over time that the bulk of what you should be spending in terms of your moments down there should be off camera. It should be building rapport. It should be building relationships. That's what I do every single day. And so that changed in 2020 because I was never face-to-face with a player all year long, uh, all year, meaning the two months that we played, but I was never in a clubhouse. I was never on the field for batting practice. I was never on a team plane or a bus to the airport or in the team hotel. And so I had to very much figure out how to do that from a distance. And so a day in the life for me was certainly living in the Zoom world for whatever players were made available to us. However, those players, for the most part, were made available to us in a group setting. Now, if we needed a one-on-one for the pregame show and, hey, can you get us you know, Salvador Perez for the pregame show? And then they would work that out with us being rights holders. but. All of those one-on-one private conversations I had before, I wasn't going to suddenly do in front of a whole group where now suddenly I'm providing all the material for, you know, the six o'clock newscast or whoever it was. And so I spent a lot of my days really trying to leverage relationships that I've built in the past. 
and saying maybe, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon or, or, you know, 11 in the morning, texting in Alex Gordon and saying, can I pick your brain on some stuff? What's a good time? Do you have five minutes to chat today? And he said, yep, I'm driving into the ballpark at two o'clock. Call me then those type of things. And so it was really this song and dance and figuring out who to get to when and how not to bug them so much that they stopped answering the phone. But knowing that that was oftentimes going to be my only way to get information because I wasn't going to see them in the clubhouse. So it was really a lot of navigating all of that all day long and also understanding, you know, this from the baseball world, you generally have designated times. This is when the clubhouse is open. This is when interviews are happening. This is when batting practice is taking place. And then you do a lot of standing around and waiting, but you know that they're available at some point somewhere in there. And now it was like, hey, uh, the clubhouse may not open until 3.30, but we got a guy that can jump on a Zoom call at 1. Can you be ready? Well, let me get my shirt and tie and jacket on, and I may not be wearing pants right now, but let's get that going, and, and boom, we're done. So it was just – it was a different routine, I guess is the best way to put it, and I think people can relate to that. Everything's been different. Everything was different in 2020. Everyone's had to adjust, and, and that time, it's so precious in a normal mm-hmm. season, the time you get in the clubhouse. I mean, I know my first season with the Chicago Dogs – as a young guy, right out of college, I thought I knew a lot about baseball, but then bam, here you are in a professional baseball clubhouse. And I realized I had a lot to learn. Yeah. I was really lucky to have some great relationships off the bat with a lot of the vets on the team. And they would, you know, pull me aside and drop a little insight on me. And I'd pick their brain on on pitch sequence or what the travel schedule would would be like. Like all these little things are so valuable. And this season, it's just boom, that's gone. You got to try and replace it with phone and text. It's just just different. But I always tell people, not just in terms of baseball, whatever your profession, different doesn't mean doesn't mean that it's not doable. Double negative there. But you know, we all want things to go back to the way they were, and in some ways they will, in some ways they never will. And so life, the way we go about our everyday business, no matter what field you're in, it evolves. And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to cover spring training this year. I have a sneaking suspicion. I could be sitting right here where I am right now, interviewing guys from Arizona via, um, you know, via Zoom. And is that ideal? Maybe not, but we still have a job to do. You still have baseball. You still have a baseball game to call. I still have pregame and postgame show hosts and games to talk about as long as they're games to talk about or a job to do or a sale to make or whatever it is, you got to find a way. So I, I think that's really what 2020 showed me. We're talking about how we connect with people and a big part of your message through your podcast, rounding the bases through your book, which I got a copy on the way of small ball, big results, which I want to dive into. That's part of your message is it's about people and how we relate to people. So let's just start with, in a general sense, we don't even have to dive into COVID. I mean, who wants to dive into COVID anyway? But just why is that what it comes down to, is those three words? It's about people. Well, and I'll, I'll add one more word into there and say it's always about people. There, I don't know that there's a profession 
in the world where it's not about people. I mean, name me why you can be in business for yourself. I suppose if you have no clients or no relationships, it's always about people. And yeah, then what's your business? And then what's your business? I haven't <laughs> figured that out yet. Like, you know, if you are home self-improvement, yeah, self-improvement. If you're, if you're homeschooling your kids and it's about the kids, it's about whatever it is, like you can always find that. And so uh, that's something I learned. And I, I write about this in my book with the late owner of the Kansas city Royals, um, David Glass, who was the former CEO of Walmart. And I could always hear him. I'm looking if I could see and find the exact quote in here. Here it is. And he actually told us this. So my broadcast partner, Jeff Montgomery, Royals, um, he's in the Royals Hall of Fame, uh, all-time saves leader, 304 saves. And so he's my analyst. And we sat down, David Glass, the final Saturday of September 2019, which was his second to last game as owner of the Royals. He, he had an agreement to sell the Royals. Nice, cool, $1 billion. And, you know, we wanted to be able to interview him one last time uh, in, his, in the end of his tenure. And little did we know that he would pass away four months later. And I mean, he had uh, been in his 80s at this point. But he said something to us in this interview. He said, you do everything, everything through people. If we all got paid on what we individually could produce, none of us would be worth very much. But if we can manifest our knowledge and our talents and so forth through other people, then we can win. So that applies to everyone. And that applies to the 25th man on the roster. That applies to the broadcaster of the Chicago Dogs. That applies to the play-by-play -play announcer uh, for the Kansas City Royals, the radio play-by-play -play man who's in the Hall of Fame, been calling their games since the team was created in 1969, but without his producer engineer, without, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And obviously, I know when you climb up, you get more people to help you with those things. Whether you're doing it yourself or you have a team to do it, you have to rely on someone to be able to help you. And, you know, I know where you're at right now, you're having to do a lot more than what someone working in the major leagues. And I've been there in a news standpoint, but that doesn't mean that you're doing every single thing alone and you're at your best when you make it about other people. And, and when you, um, you talked about those relationships with those veteran players, you build those relationships by helping take care of those guys, everything you do in life, should be about people and adding value. And that's true in sports and out of sports. How is it unique in sports? This is the world that you and I are both in. You've been in longer than I have since you got out of college. What is the unique aspect of a relationship within this world? Well, there's a few things. First off, from a sports standpoint, there are so many pieces that have to be right to make it work. Think about from a, we can talk about broadcast standpoint too, but think about from a player's standpoint, even if you look at the, the individual sports, tennis, golf, um, maybe swimming, if you're doing individual stuff there, they have a coach, they have a trainer, they may have, uh, who knows, a massage therapist, a chiropractor, a mental coach, uh, uh, whatever it is. So it just be Rory McIlroy out there. It might just be, 
you know, name, you know, whatever sport, whatever individual athlete, they're not just showing up practicing and going home. There, there are other people involved in all of it. And it just, it just scales differently. So, you know, with the Kansas city Royals, we may have a strength and conditioning coach and we may have three trainers on the team and we may have a video coordinator and we may have, you know, on and on and on. And minor league baseball, independent baseball, Chicago dogs, you might have one person doing four of those things. And those players may not have the same resources. You may not have the same resources. You may be the resource often in, in coming up with, with the, you know, with the game notes and the things like that. But there's not a day that's gone by in your young broadcasting career where you've done it all 100% by yourself, even if it feels like sometimes you have to. Right. And so that's across the board. And so I don't care how great of a superstar player it is. Think about the amount of people that are involved to get that player ready every single day. And so it might scale differently. I think, you know, I, I I view it kind of like my first TV job, which was in Northern Wisconsin. I was the reporter, anchor, cameraman, editor, writer, and producer for most of my own stuff. But I wasn't the only one at the station, you know, and so I had to do more than what I do today because I've got teams of people that are experts at that. But I'll tell you this much, and this is, you know, on the broadcast side where where to me it's very relevant. Like we always tell people that want to come to the broadcast booth during normal times, hey, we want to check out what you guys do. You're on TV. It's so cool. Can we come on your set and check this out? And, and, And if it works out, that's great. But we tell people all the time that the most interesting place to be is the television truck. It's where the magic happens. Nobody it's knows. It's a spaceship. Oh, and it's, I, I sort of equate it to walking into like an ER room and they, they're, it's organized chaos and it's not life and death. Although sometimes it can be viewed that way. If you get bounced off the air, it's a lot of people to make it work. And I'll tell you what, like we're all replaceable, but you know, if our director is sick or our producer or our graphics guy or our statistician, um, or our audio guy, if those guys are sick and we happen to have somebody else that comes in, that's not as good. It'll be noticed. People at home may, may not quite know why it's not right. They may not know who those people are. So it's just interesting to me. Like if I'm, if I'm gone, if I were to miss a game or one of our guys were to be not be there, I'll hear on social media you know where's where's monty today how come monty's not working with you jeff montgomery or how come rex isn't there rex hudler today but if our director or producer isn't there they're not going to say where's your producer they're just going to say hey why aren't those graphics looking as good so that's what it takes and that's that's to me how it's about people in sports you have to have a successful team and a culture to get it all right and that culture is really fascinating to me in sports especially when you are a part of a team that's winning, losing, there are injuries, there are highlights. You might have a day where, what do you know, pitcher goes out and throws a perfect game. Or you might have a day where your star player tears his ACL and is out nine months. And things like that happening so drastically and unpredictably in sports, yes, it's replicated in other fields. Now we're recording this on January 28th. Just yesterday, there was that whole 
GameStop, Reddit, stock market fiasco that I'm still trying to understand. Same. So yes, it, you know, in every field, weird crap happens. That was a weird one. But sports is just constant, and we're constantly reacting to it. Now, I'm, I'm curious in the athletes and the production staff and the team staff that you've worked with, as someone who's constantly watching people and analyzing people, how do you see all those extraneous events affecting the way people relate to other people? And also, well, if you I can mean, explain when... the GameStop thing for me, let me know. <laughs> no. All right, we'll I, I feel like I, I feel like though, I feel like I want to get a little bit of a hold of it only in the sense that doesn't it seem like in two years or three years there'll be a movie? You know, there's going to oh, be yeah. like some, you know, social dilemma type of movie or, you know, whatever the first one on Facebook was on Zuckerberg. Like, there's just going to be like some kind of documentary or movie where I'm like, I want to at least go back and be like, I remember that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, but I, I'm not going to try to explain it to you. It's going to be a sure, Netflix, but... a Netflix docu-series, yeah. something like that. Yeah, for sure. You watch Social Actually, Dilemma? I watched it. It freaked the hell out of me. Me too. I, I don't think I've scrolled on social media since I watched it. It was only a couple days ago when I watched it. Now I'm like, I, like I want to throw my ago, phone yeah. out the window. I sort of, we're getting off topic. It's what I do, but I sort of, I think what freaked me out about it was like, I kind of knew going in and I had a, an idea of what it was about. And so I knew that everything that I've done is out there. I get that. It's gonna be tough to scrub all that. Uh -huh. But I, I think what freaked me out is that, that there's been essentially machines built to manipulate our thinking, you know, and, and that's what freaked me out. And I, you know, I want to fight back against it, but the reality of it is, you know, those machines are smarter than even a kid coming out of Northwestern. So they're pretty damn smart. <laughs> and that kid's pretty <laughs> smart, right? And that kid well, he went to Northwestern. Of course he is. I mean, <laughs> come on. When I, when I came home from Wisconsin for winter break or in summers, I would hang out with my Northwestern friends. So I was a Chicago kid. And so I'd, I'd hang out with my Northwestern friends and, we have more fun at Wisconsin, by the way. But anyway, um, I am aware. Know, I, yeah, I know you are. But <laughs> back to the question. First and foremost, and and I hope I'm answering it right or, or understanding it correctly. Since I got off on a on a Netflix tangent, by the way, in the time of me giving this answer, they've already produced that docu series about the uh, the Reddit thing. It, it'll be out tomorrow. Oh, I, I like can't the, wait to watch. It seems how quickly I've got my like popcorn quickly, popping. Yeah. Okay. So. There's so many little elements to that team. And I think that when there's synergy to it, which is a culture discussion, when you have everyone buying in, I know that sounds pretty simple, but when, when the video coordinator and the assistant hitting coach and the, you know, when there's synergy between all of them, you have something going really well. That's hard to do in any organization when, when everyone is, you know, for lack of a better term or to use the over uh, to, to have the overused term, everyone's pulling in the same direction, that kind of stuff that could be magical. And you obviously need the talent, but you and I have seen just like any sports person uh, or fan that just because you spend the most money, I mean, look at the off season right now, Padres, White Sox, Blue Jays right now, have shaken things up and added more teams that everyone in the media is crowning them the winners. It's not that easy. And I can't vouch for it because I'm not in their, their clubhouses. But I remember a bunch of years back, 
I was in the Dodgers clubhouse. They were playing interleague play in Kansas City. So I'm in the Dodgers visiting clubhouse at Kauffman Stadium. And I was talking to uh, a relief pitcher who I knew. And it was during the World Cup. And I just remember looking out and seeing somebody had scored. I think it must have been Mexico because Adrian Gonzalez, uh, who's of Mexican heritage, was in there. And he's wearing a Mexico jersey. And and Yasiel Puig was in there. And so somebody scores from Mexico in the game or the match. And the two of them, Gonzalez and Puig, are like running around in circles doing celebration dances and everything. It's like four in the afternoon, four thirty in the afternoon. And they're they're running around celebrating like a soccer player would after a goal. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty fun. And I turn to this pitcher and I go, man, this is awesome. Like, you guys have a great thing in here, right? He goes, when we're winning. Oh. He said, because when we're losing, it is every man for himself. And I don't know if that's getting to what you're saying, but I think it's powerful because that was a Dodgers team that year. And like every other year in baseball that on paper should have been a world series contender or close to it. And we know the Dodgers just won the world series in 2020 for the first time since 1988. Yankees haven't won a world series since 2001. I'm not saying they have bad culture, but it's not enough just to have the best players. And it's not enough just to focus on those players because you get a few bad apples in a clubhouse and that could just be the massage therapist. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you right now, like, you know, the rumors go around in a clubhouse. Who's, you know, who's the mole? Who's the one that's reporting to the GM? Who's the one, you know, who's the snitch? Who's the one that's reporting on all this type of stuff? And that might not even always happen, but if there's a lack of trust between all the different elements that go to making this work, it's not going to work out. The focus on winning is really interesting to me because there's two ways I think to look at life in general. I can be super focused on the outcomes in my day-to-day life, which are for the most part out of my control, or I can be very focused on the process and love the process. So I can go on air, let's say, for a game tonight, and the feed could crap out, or the game could get canceled because of COVID. I can't control that. So am I going to be in a crap mood all day because of that? Well, no, because I like the process. I like the process of preparing for a game and the things I do that go into a game. And if the game doesn't happen, oh, well, we'll have one next week, hopefully. And if not, we'll have one the next week. So that's interesting to me when I see teams like that that get super shuddered and depressed after every single loss and super exuberant running around Mm -hmm. after every win because it's like, well, in a baseball season, you're going to win at least 60 and lose at least 60. So, you know, how do you, it's like all those ups and downs. I think it sort of mirrors life because us folks who aren't professional athletes, who aren't playing every day, can't be that attached to the outcome. We have to be about the process. I'm so glad that you brought this up. And when you get the book, you'll read it in there. But not that every answer needs to come from the book. However, when I lived and breathed it for so many days and writing it, it's like, you know, it's it's ingrained in your head. And you have a third was, brain that's just the book, which would be the excuse of why the other brains aren't working. Now, <laughs> I don't know why they weren't working before, but that's another discussion. But when I came to Kansas City in 2008, came from St. Louis, where I'd worked the previous nine and a half years. And 
I was lucky enough to be on a broadcast team with Paul Splitorf, who's the Royals all-time wins leader. So our setup was, was great. Our play-by-play guy still to this day is Ryan Lefevre. Uh, his analyst back then was Paul Splitorf. And then my analyst was Frank White, uh, eight-time gold glover for the Royals second base. And uh, ultimately, um, Split, who's one of the most talented broadcasters that, that I ever worked with, uh, to the point where, okay, Royals all-time wins leader, played 70s and 1970s, 1980s, and got out, really climbed the ranks as a broadcaster like you and many of us. Not that former player that just jumped into the booth. He started calling high school basketball games in the area, calling them, not, you know, and, and he had played college baseball and basketball at Morningside in Iowa, Sioux City, Iowa. And so he had background in both and eventually went on to call big 12 basketball games as an analyst and major league baseball, but split as a former player would do the first three innings as an analyst, the fourth, fifth, and sixth as play by play. And the seventh, eighth, and ninth as the analyst again, which doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. That is a little bit more old school, but he, he worked hard to be a fantastic broadcaster and he got sick, and so he um, he ended up passing away because of um, cancer, and um, it had affected his voice, um, you know, throat cancer. And so they actually moved him to work with me as my pre and post game host, and flip flopped and put Frank White in the booth because just to do nine innings was very difficult for him. So the long way of me first and foremost saying that I had three and a half years of working with split before he passed away in May of 2011. But my first year there, while well, he was still in the booth, 2008, he pulls me aside one night. This is exactly what you're talking about. And I was still, you know, look, Sam, you know, we're fans. There are very few people on television, radio, broadcasting in sports that hate sports. Every now and then it's very disheartening to me to see someone that doesn't really enjoy their job when there's thousands, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands that would gladly trade. You know, look, you're climbing the ranks right now. You're, you're more where I was doing everything and you want to get to a level where I'm at, you know? Um, and I say that having been where you're at. And so, but you love it. Obviously, like you, 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 you have a dream, you have a passion, you love sports. And so you, I think, could sometimes still have that fan in you, which is nice and innocent and fun and, um, and it leads to your energy. But I still at that point, 35 years old, maybe, and the Royals were bad in 2008. I, I was living and dying with every loss. I got to know the guys. It was my new job. I was on TV every single night. I finally was where I wanted to be. And I was getting pissed off at the losses. Like, can you believe they did that? Not on the air, but, you know. And so Split pulls me aside one night. He says, Joel, because I remember I come from St. Louis. They were winning every year. I mean, at the minimum, a bad year was 500 and a good year was a World Series. And, and for the Royals, like a great year would have been 500 at that point. And so he says, Joel, there are a lot of important people out there who are paid to lose sleep at night over a loss. And you're not one of them. And, you know, at first glance, I was like, so is he saying like, don't care? And he cared deeply. He was, he had more pride and work ethic to the craft of broadcasting and the good of the game. What he was telling me was win or lose, 
you have a job to do every night that requires you to bring the energy and to be able to bring people in. You know as well as I do that more people are interested when the team is winning than losing. But you still have to be able to broadcast for all those people that love baseball, even when the team is losing. And I sort of understood that in the moment. I've deeply come to understand that in my career at moments where 2013, we're doing a post-game show that starts at 3.14 in the morning from St. Louis, or you're walking out of Fenway Park at 1.45 in the morning with all the lights down and the shadows of the monster thinking, is anybody watching? Did anybody just watch that? And it's kind of like what people do in a Zoom call now, and they're staring at the little camera, and you're like, who's out there? Right. Well, that's what it could be on these late nights. You're on the West Coast and it's, you know, 1130 at night. The game went long and you're sitting in, the, in an empty field in Oakland where no one was in the stands anyway. And you're like, it's 120 back at home. Is anybody watching? But guess what? If you throw out that question on Twitter, you'll have hundreds of people being like, yep, I'm up. I'm watching. I'm here. So someone always cares. And so what I came to learn is win, lose, no matter what it is. Uh, you got to bring it every single night. This last season of COVID ball really crystallized what you're talking about for me. The concept of not getting down with every loss. Like I'm picturing you, your first season in Kansas city, sort of like me, my first season working for the Chicago dogs, like on my way home after a walk-off loss, I'm like dejected. But but why? I'm not, I wasn't on That's the it. field. You know, I, I, I'm, I it doesn't affect me. And I think this last season really changed that for me because I was grateful just to finish a nine inning game every night. If yeah. we got to the ballpark and everyone had tested positive and or well, no, that would be a disaster. Everyone had tested negative, which is a positive thing in nature. Yes. Everyone tests negative. We play the game. We finish a nine inning game and get to go home safely at the end of the night. That's a win. That's a huge win. So it really put it in perspective for me. And you know what? We finished in last place. And I didn't care because I got to go on air every night. I had a blast. And we only had one game postponed because of COVID. And that yeah. felt like a bigger win. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, you definitely realized this with the conversation you just told me about pre-COVID. But for me, that was what precipitated it. And, and I would just say, and I, I'm not in any way pushing back because I know exactly, like you're, we're saying the same thing. It's not so much that you don't care. It's that, because, you know, look, your job, my job, it's much easier when they win. It'd be great if they could win every game or if they could just win 60% of their games because it's easier. And it's not that I'm afraid of the hard work. It's easy and fun to talk about a win. It's easy to describe a win, you know, especially when you're broadcasting for a team where the audience, you know, like why, why do fans hate say Joe Buck so much, which is like a universal thing in every market because they think that he's against their team. But then the other team thinks the same thing. Why? Cause he's not your announcer. You're, you're the Chicago dogs announcer. We're the Kansas city Royals announcers that those fans live with us every single night. And so what do they love the most? When do they not turn the games off? When they're winning. So it is better. It's better for ratings. It's better for getting on the bus after the game. It's better for all that type of stuff. But 
it can't affect how you do your job. And I also think that here's a little perspective. You know, if we're on the road, you hop on the bus after the game and, and go back to the hotel. I mean, for one, at our level, the perspective is, okay, I'm hopping on the bus at um, guaranteed rate. I almost said U.S. Cellular, whatever. The stadium formerly known as, formerly known as, formerly known as. but yeah, A million times over. Right. We're, we're hopping on the bus to go back to the Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> like, you know, I'm okay. Or you're hopping back in your car and you got to call a baseball game. And is it the level you want to end up at? Probably not. But how many people did you go to school with at Northwestern or other friends that you had that wanted to go into television that just never, or, or, or radio or broadcasting play by play that just never pulled the trigger? Most because I've talked, yeah, I talked to a lot of friends over the years of people I've lost touch with. And I remember bumping into a guy that I was in broadcasting class with at, at Wisconsin. And I saw him when we were playing the Brewers one year. I don't remember now if it was Cardinals Brewers or Royals Brewers, probably Cardinals. And very successful. I feel like it was like, you know, PR firm or marketing or whatever. And he had talent. I mean, he, you know, he was, he was good. I think he was a good broadcaster, if I remember correctly. Great guy, loves sports. And I think probably at that point in my career was making a ton more money than me too. And I just remember him being basically expressing how jealous he was of what I was doing. And so that's a great perspective to have too, that like, I'm guessing that most, not all, most people like you or me dreamed of doing this. Like we didn't wake up one day and say, Hey, I want to be a broadcaster. I'm guessing. Uh, I mean, I know a few people otherwise, but it's not like you, I'm a, I, I, it's not like you went through Northwestern and then you're walking, you know, to graduate and you're like, I think I'm going to try to be a baseball announcer. Right. I mean, you, and, and so yeah, it was a, a little more premeditated. Yeah. I mean, mine was premeditated since I was seven or eight years old, but yep, same here. Okay. And that's, there are, there are more of those stories than not, especially for those of us that didn't have the athletic ability to, to play at that level. Like, you know, some of the people we work around or some of our colleagues or people in the industry that actually you know, played the game at that level, but that's perspective in itself. Like you are doing something that everybody wishes they could do. And I remember my, that same first year, 08, at the end of the year, um, some guy stopped me at the airport. We were, my wife and I were going on vacation at the end of the season or something like that. And, and, you know, I was still new to Kansas city and he comes up to me and he says, Hey, uh, you're, you're that Royals announcer, right? And I said, yeah, he didn't know my name. And he said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that you do a great job. I want to let you know you do a great job. I said, well, thanks so much. I mean, I hadn't really been stopped a whole lot. That went to a different level when the Royals won the World Series. And, you know, now you can't go anywhere in town, even with a mask. They're like, I recognize that voice. You're the Royals guy. So great. But nobody knew that back then. And he said, you know, you did do a great job. Thanks. He said, but I got to tell you something. I said, what's that? He says, I feel sorry for you. I go, what do you mean you feel sorry for me? And he says... Well, um, you got to talk about all those losses every night. You know, they'd lost 90-something games that year. I said, you feel sorry for me? I remember saying, I don't know what you do. You may have the greatest job in the world. So I might be wrong here, but I'm guessing I don't want to trade with whatever it is you do because I'm living my dream. And there's that perspective. And also the other perspective, 
is that there is someone in your case, smaller audience, obviously, than what we have. You don't know if one of those players' grandmothers is watching or listening, listening, and 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 this is that one moment of the day for her. Like this is how she stays connected to her grandchild. I don't know. I do know that there are troops that are tuning into the American Forces Network that are watching us in Iraq or Kuwait or anywhere around the world. And I used to get messages on Twitter. Great game last night. It was so good to get a piece of home. Great game. We lost 13 to nothing and there was a three-hour rain delay and we got out of there too. How was that a great game? They didn't care. They loved the Royals, but you know what they really loved? They loved seeing the traffic on the highway behind the scoreboard on, on Interstate 70, I-70, because it made them think about home versus being in the middle of the desert where they didn't have that. And so perspective is powerful. Right. Hearing the crack of the bat, hearing Joel Goldberg's voice, like whatever it is that, that it, someone yeah. can hold on to. It, no, it is magical. Now, something I'm curious about, because you've been around a lot of people, a lot of athletes, and you have this podcast rounding the bases. Now, I feel like I've been doing this for a while. Now, I, in reality, I started this podcast in July, but just the way time flies, like it feels like I've been doing it for years. Now, I've got 20 or so episodes in my pocket. And I, I look on your podcast a few weeks ago and you're on episode 554. Like, wow, <laughs> that's a lot of yeah. episodes. Well, first thing, if I'm being completely honest, and I'm not really trying to fool people, but sometimes it does, I guess that's fine, is that every season started with you know season 100 200 300 400 500 so um i haven't done 500 episodes but it was a good way to sort of differentiate them maybe there's some good marketing in that however i've done 200 plus 300 i I don't know what the number is because so i'll backtrack real quickly here i started my podcast in november of 2017 it was not meant to be and is, is not a baseball podcast. It is a baseball themed podcast. But in my other life, about four years ago, I started a business where I do a lot of motivational and corporate um, speaking, um, talking about culture and leadership and, and lessons learned in the sports world. And my goal when I started that was to be able to plug into the business world and start to highlight executives and entrepreneurs and then tie those two things together that look, the leadership that you see in the clubhouse isn't really all that different than what you see in a boardroom or in a break room or whatever it is. And so I started all those one every other week. That was it. Then it became weekly. Then when the pandemic hit, I thought, well, I'm sitting at home. I'm out of work for the first four months of the season. I'm not getting paid anything. So I started a five days a week video streaming, live video streaming podcast. So I was doing one on iTunes and then the other five. So that was six per week, which i eventually backed off of that a little bit because it was a little over aggressive but you know we're talking about maybe closer to 300 podcasts and i'll just say this that everybody's got a story to tell you you know and so i i'm really doing that 30 minutes to an hour uh sometimes as a sports guest occasionally not always but i want to tell people stories i want to i want to find out what makes them tick And when I did the five a week or six a week, I didn't stop because I was running out of stories. I just cut it down from six a week to three to three a week right now 
because I didn't want to run myself into the ground any more than I already had. And it was like, I can't, I don't know if I can get the energy to do this five days per week after spending all that energy on six to seven days a week of baseball. So, you know, now it runs Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays and kind of found that happy medium, but I'll get to 500 at some point too. And uh, I'll keep doing it I, as long as there's stories to tell. And like I said, there always will be no different than you, no matter what team game you're calling somebody, whoever steps up to the, to the plate, steps in the batter's box, steps on the mound. They always have a story to tell. So out of those 300 or so stories that have been told on your podcast, give me one that you think the audience of my podcast could appreciate or could learn something from. Um, there's so many, and there's some heavy stuff, some emotional stuff, but you know, I, I think one of my favorites, and maybe I'll write about it in a future book. So I'll do the baseball tie on this one. Um, I had Kevin Euclid on last fall, uh, maybe towards the end of the season. And I just, I found him to be so fascinating because one, here's a guy that won world championships. Um, two, I believe with the Red Sox, it played a prominent role in one of those. Finished his career with the White Sox um, briefly. And yes, at U.S. Cellular, I mean, guaranteed rate. Whatever field. it was. They were probably U.S. Cellular at that point. I don't know. But, you know, Yuku, I didn't know well. I mean, I knew him more than he knew me. But he started a brewery in California, in the San Jose area. And he was like the ultimate tie between sports and business and entrepreneurship because we could sit there and talk about what made the Red Sox and championship teams successful and what made them tick and how to go about your business and compete and deal with failure. At the same time, he's opened up this brewery in the San Jose area, which is now trying to fight through COVID and not being open and regulations and now having to deal with politicians and government and customers and building teams and leading and, you know, all that. And, and him being the face of the franchise, so to speak, but, but make needing to make sure that the master brewer and the, this and the, that are, are getting all of their, their, um, you know, exposure and their, their rightful due. So that was one of my favorites in the last few years of just tying it all together. And, you know, my book was equal parts baseball and podcast. And so th there'll be, I think a second and a third sort of follow-ups a little bit different. And so he, you know, we'll see if he makes his way into that next book. He doesn't know that yet, but he's like the ideal type of story because he can kind of give you that perspective from both worlds. Now I'll make sure to check it out. And for you at home, make sure you check out rounding the bases with Joel Goldberg. Don't be fooled by the number of episodes. He's, he's trying to swindle you. It's not 500, it's 300. Uh, but also, uh, you know, make sure you follow him on social media. Joel, tell, tell the people where they can find you. All over the place, Sam. I wish I had the same handle for everything. It'd be so much easier. But uh, for Twitter, it's Goldberg KC. For Instagram, it's Joel Goldberg KC. I don't know why I screwed that up. For <laughs> um, Facebook and YouTube, Joel Goldberg Media are the the handles there. And and I'm just I'm a content guy, so I, I'm I'm cranking stuff out, whether it be from the business world, uh, bits of motivation and strategy. Or once baseball gets going, I mean, it's nonstop baseball stuff every day.
And make sure you check out his book too. It's on the way to my apartment. Maybe send it to yours at home. It's small ball, big results. Joel Goldberg, thanks for a great conversation. And hey, maybe we'll have to do another one of these after the GameStop stock market Netflix oh docuseries comes out. And we can yes. do a little two-man review. I love it. I'm in on that one. And I will even buy the hot dogs. Or maybe you have a better deal than I do. But I did, for four years of high school and college, I did work at a hot dog place in Chicago. So eight years of my life. Uh, as, as a you know, as a kid growing up on the North Shore, so you know, I'm very particular about my hot dogs and the uh, condiments that go on them. Tell me what you put on your hot dog, and I ask this because every year when I create the Chicago Dogs media guide, the last line in every player's bio is the hot dog. So give me yours. It has to be. Are they and they're are they booted from the team if they put ketchup on it? Well, like half the guys put ketchup. So we they don't can't, know. we can't boot them or we wouldn't have a team. They don't know. It, it, it becomes then very evident of where they did not grow up. Maybe not exactly. evident of where they did, but certainly evident of where they did not. Uh, this is a fairly easy one for me. And I prefer a grilled hot dog over boiled, steamed, but mustard, relish, preferably the, you know, that like lighter green relish or whatever that stuff is, but whatever. Mustard, relish. Pickle, grilled onions, and hot peppers. Sport peppers. I like that. I like oh, that. Oh, and celery salt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Celery salt is necessary. That's a Chicago thing, yeah. and it is it's it, it is the, to the next level. ingredient. Mm -hmm. I can I can live without the pickle. Let me do that on the side. I can I can live without the grilled onions, although I prefer them. I can do the regular onions too, but to me, the necessity, and I can even live without the the relish, but the mustard, the peppers, and the celery salt are a must to me, and that's a very Chicago thing. You want to hear a weird thing about me, and I grew up in the North Shore too, and now I work for a team whose mascot, well, our mascot is a mustard bottle, but you know we're the, we're the dogs. So it's sort of a sin that I don't like mustard, now, I would mm. never put ketchup on it, but I go grilled hot dog. I agree with you. That's a must. The celery salt, the pickle, the tomato, grilled onions if they're available, and that's it. It's dry. No mustard. I'm a weirdo. It's Yeah, but I mean, it's also still better than having ketchup on it. And, yeah. and look, I, I, I grew up out east before my family moved to the North Shore when I was 13, I knew of no such rules, but you know, when you are, when you're 13 and you're impressionable and everybody's making fun of your East coast accent and all of your habits, you know, it'll, it'll pull that ketchup out of you like that. And, <laughs> and then when you start working at the place and you start hearing about what a sin it is to put ketchup on a Chicago hot dog, I don't think I've had ketchup on a hot dog in decades. Me too, my friend. I I'm glad we're in agreement. That, that makes me feel better about having you on today. Joel, thank you. Thank you for coming on. All right, Sam. Thanks. Appreciate it. Muchas gracias to Joel Goldberg for coming on the 20th edition of The Mental Game. He was a great guest, but I still think one of the craziest parts of that is that we recorded an entire podcast and didn't find out until after that we went to the same high school. Joel Goldberg, a fellow Highland Park giant just like me. So here in the studio, 
We finished that conversation with some good old hot dog talk. And what I told Joel about the Chicago Dogs media guide, it's true. We take the preferred hot dog of every player and under their stats and their personal bio, we put what they want on their hot dog. So I just looked through last year's dogs media guide. And here's the weirdest one. And it's from a longtime Chicago dog who's been with the franchise from the start. One of my favorite guys on the team, Edwin Arroyo, lovely man, but weird hot dog. Ready for this? Prefers his hot dogs with mayonnaise, mustard, chili, onions, melted cheese, and worst of all, ketchup. Mayo and chili and onions and ketchup? I mean, what is this hot dog? I mean, it's like the the actual hot dog itself is getting lost under a tsunami of ingredients. So that was a, a wild one. Just a little nugget for those of you who have stuck around to the end of this podcast. Really appreciate you coming aboard for this 20th edition of The Mental Game. And remember, we've got a whole catalog, 19 episodes before this. Everything from former players to current players to coaches to psychologists to mental skills coaches. A wonderful mix of guests for you to check out in the first few episodes of The Mental Game. So appreciate the love and support. I'm Sam Brief, signing off from Chicago. Talk to you next time. Adios. Mm -hmm.